Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 5th. I almost said October 5th. Kind of wish it was October 5th. I'd still be 28. <laughs> Anyways, um, a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about an olive, olive oil scandal in both Spain and Italy and what it tells us about the global economy, climate change, and just desperation for profits. I also want to talk about an interesting stock buying scheme that happened just days before October 7th, the attack on Israel. And people think Hamas might have bought some Israeli stocks knowing this was going to happen. I also want to talk about Hamas using cryptocurrency as a means to fund some of their operations and launder money with Hezbollah and Iran. I also would like to talk about the word of the year inside of the Oxford Dictionary, which is Riz Up. I, I'm getting too old for some of these words. I'm starting to not know what things mean anymore, but Riz Up we'll get into. But first and foremost, you guys remember George Santos? Former Congressman George Santos? Couldn't have been a nicer guy, very truthful. Well, I don't think things are going particularly well for him. It was only a few days ago that he was expelled from Congress, and now he is putting out daily affirmations <laughs> brought to you by Cameo, you know, the thing where you can basically pay a celebrity to send you a personalized message. And so he's been singing Taylor Swift, telling people to not listen to the haters, and he put out a Cameo to Bob Menendez, disgraced, corrupt senator from uh, New Jersey, Bob Menendez, and uh, let's play a little bit. Let's play a little bit here. This is a pretty good compilation. Then I'll play the Taylor Swift one. How are you, darling? Let me tell you something. Screw the haters. The haters are going to hate. Be yourself unapologetically. Just love yourself. Just make sure that you don't buy into the hate and stand your ground and don't let them force you out. Don't let them bully you. You do you, girl. I'm cheering for you. I'm glad he's cheering for all of us. Now here's him uh, saying, I knew you were trouble, is his favorite Taylor Swift one. And this is a pretty good cameo here. My favorite T.S. song is definitely going to be Trouble. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. That's me. I don't know if he did this purposely, but he does say, that's me, after singing, I knew you were trouble when you walk in. Maybe he's just recognizing that he's trouble. I wish. But anyways, you guys haven't seen the videos because right now we're not doing video for this podcast. But this is a gentleman that does not look like he's doing particularly well. He is, I mean, I guess the sad thing is that people are paying for this and that he's found a way to stay in the limelight. This is a guy that's going to be on Dancing with the Stars next season. This is a guy they're going to make a show about. This guy's not going away. This guy, you know, say what you want about him. People love to hate him. They love to laugh at him. They love the insanity of everything he's done. And yes, the media will keep following him. I mean, look, I'm talking about him for God's sake. So anyways, let's move on though. One more little fun thing before we get into actual world events and politics is that the Oxford English Dictionary has crowned internet slang again as its word of the year. And this is the second year in a row. And this year's choice is Riz. <laughs> which is a word that I barely ever know what it means. I hear people use it. I've heard people put songs like Get My Riz Up and all this stuff, but interesting word to be the word of the year. It is short for charisma, 
and it was, I guess, popular popularized, sorry, by a streamer named Kai Sennett. Um, Vox writes, Senate incidentally is old person famous for inciting a riot by offering free video game councils to his followers in New York's Union Square. So this, this interests me because obviously not a word that pretty much anyone other than Gen Zers or online culture or people that have TikTok would know. Even me, I'm pretty online and I've just heard it used. <laughs> not, not a word that would be in my vocabulary. But I think the interesting thing here before we move on is that I think dictionaries, in a sense, really have become methods, tools, ways to kind of trace culture and trace language because we are seeing language and just the usage of terms change so quickly with the internet, obvi. And it's interesting that something as prestigious and old as the Oxford English Dictionary is trying to basically record and turn vocabulary like this or slang like this into not only public information, but a record of the times. Now, I think from my understanding, the way they came to use this word, or that they came to put this word as their word of the year, was they were looking into what people were searching for or using in online conversations. And I think the interesting thing here is that OED, which is the Oxford English Dix Dictionary, they've even acknowledged that who knows if this word will be big in 10 years, but dictionaries have an important place in keeping up with times and keeping up with how words are changing in society. And that does fascinate me a little bit, though you're probably not going to find me start using rizzed up or riz or whatever the hell um, in the next next days just to do it. Maybe I'll do it to troll people and just to be an annoying person, but you're, you're probably not going to find me start using Riz all the time. But I, I just do find it interesting. I mean, I, I wonder what like a like a 70-year-old in Wisconsin thinks about this. Maybe I'm just backwards and not caught up with the times, but <laughs> I, I just find these things interesting. Anyways, let's move on. I want to talk about Spain and Italy, probably my two favorite places in Europe. Well, Slovenia and Switzerland are up there too, but yeah, Spain and Italy would probably take the two spots. And so... <laughs> The Economist writes here in quotes, 11 people were arrested across Italy and Spain for running an olive oil fraud operation, which produced 260,000 liters of cheap olive oil falsely labeled as high quality. Side note, before I continue, that usually means they put in other oils and fillers and change the color to make it seem like this high denominación de origen or whatever to make it seem like it's a, it's a high level olive oil when it's not. And... I, in a minute, I'll get into how I think this actually shows us how a mix of climate change and bad economic indicators are leading to this. But anyways, the article continues, olive oil has long been one of the most commonly counterfeited foodstuffs in Europe, but other olive oil related uh, crimes such as theft have been on the rise as prices have surged in recent years. The Guardian also has a good piece that goes into this a little bit further. The Guardian writes here, police in Spain and Italy seized more than 5,000 liters of adulterated olive oil after breaking an international gang that allegedly sought to profit by passing off cheap oils as their most expensive equivalents. We also have to remember that Spain and Italy are pretty much the, pretty much the prime places to get olive oil. I remember being down in Jaén in southern Spain and Andalusia, Cordoba region, all of southern Spain, mainly Andalusia, is just very known for olive oil. And same with Italy. I know less where I know less about Italian olive oil just because I didn't live there for a long time, but very good stuff. And I mean, <laughs> on a cultural like consumer side of this, you don't want this because 
Spanish and Italian olive oils have a denomination de origin, which is something that basically distinguishes them from, say, just a random olive oil that's made in Greece or in the United States or in China or whatever. And so now if you're tainting these brands and counterfeiting the idea of expensive equivalents of olive oil, it's not good for the whole market in general. But anyways, the, um, the Guardian writes here, going back into that article, the investigation carried out by the Guardia Civil in conjunction with, Itali- sorry, with Italy's Carbonera and Europol led to raids in both countries and the searching of olive processing cooperatives in the Spanish provinces of Ciudad Real, Jaén, and Córdoba. And the article writes also, the Guardia Civil said, and this is translated to English, in Spain they used a company that was linked to the acquisition of lower category oils to make changes to cloudy and poor quality oils to turn them into virgin and extra virgin and then sell them by falsifying documents. Isn't that fun? And it, it probably will not surprise you guys much that there are a lot of differences between, you know, high quality extra virgin olive oil or cheap, low-grade, chemically refined ones. And I think freshness is the key. High quality, expensive EVOO is, you know, from recently harvested olives that are pressed, usually cold pressed as soon as they are picked and milled. Cheap versions, chemicals are added. They're usually pressed from leftover or substandard olives. Also, you have to think that the expensive olives are usually grown on organic estates and harvested at the peak of ripeness, all of that stuff. And so they're just really degrading that whole idea. Now, why this is interesting to me, why this matters, two reasons, climate change and just global economics and prices. First off, even kind of before the war in Ukraine and before all the chaos that we're seeing or in involving wars, pretty much the post-COVID or the post-2020 world has seen a lot of rises in food prices. I've talked about this before on the podcast. And in this case, olive oil prices are rising across Europe. Mainly we're seeing drought and other weather effects, weather conditions, um, impact harvests. And this has been going on for two successive years now. Back to that Reuters article. It writes here in quotes, global production is expected to fall by 2.4 tons, according to the International Olive Council. The the International Olive Council says less than last year's harvest, and that's well short of global demand of about 3 million tons. So basically, with a shortage of olives, you still have a global demand, but just not enough output. So you have to find ways to keep up with demand. And at the same time, as olives, agriculture in general, food products are getting more expensive, there is now a demand for black market or cheaper alternatives or fraudulent alternatives to extra quality, extra virgin olive oil, right? And so this is just to me another sign of food, the, the price of food around the world, especially since the invasion of Ukraine. And and it's something that impacts impacts especially spa- places like Spain and Italy, where they have really been hit hard by inflation. I remember I was in a cab going out to the Spanish family. That, well, I was I was visiting the Spanish family, and I flew in from Chicago, got there late, and I'm taking a cab, and the driver's just ranting to me in Spanish about how just bad everything's been since COVID and then the invasion of Ukraine. When I was in Italy after that, about a few weeks later, I remember I was also talking to some locals when I was in the South, and they were just talking about how you really have to make decisions. 
and I know Americans are suffering, but from, from my just anecdotal experience being back over there, significantly worse. This cab driver talked about how you made decisions like, do you buy the eggs and the chicken or do you pay for heat in the winter? That type of stuff. Because we have to remember fuel costs, especially in 2021, or sorry, 2022, extremely high, especially in the winter months when you have Putin and Germany you know, battling off Putin, trying to punish Western Europe for helping to support Ukraine, all of this mess. And so we have to remember that it's not, it shouldn't be surprising at all that you're seeing kind of a bootlegging black market for olive oil amongst other goods. And uh, moving on also, we have to remember that climate change as well is part of this. I've talked about this. I haven't talked about this recently on the podcast, but Spain and Portugal, Italy as well, have been hit by fires, droughts, heat waves, temperatures higher than 40 degrees Celsius. Portugal was close to like 50 back in the summer of 2022. And basically droughts and heat waves have just exacerbated um, fires, mudslides, flash floods, And all of this has happened in areas that are olive producing, such as, again, Spain, Greece, Italy, Portugal, Turkey, and Morocco. Basically, every summer, these are the places getting hit by extreme weather, such as fires and droughts. Like, I feel like Spain and California over the last five years, even decade, have had pretty similar summer trajectories, fall trajectories involving heat waves and fires. And, of course, I mean, it's a whole other subject, but it's made worse when... AC and cooling technology in some of these old European cities is just lacking. So anyways, Reuters also notes here in quotes, Spain, which produces half the world's olive oil, is expected to produce 765,000 tons this year, more than 664,000 produced in last year's poor harvest, but well short of the 1.3 million tons that could be counted on in past years. So climate change and global economics based on the crises we're facing, making it so there's a perfect ripe moment for a black market. And I mean, this is uh, places like Spain, Greece, Italy, Portugal, olive oil is important. I mean, Spain more than any others, just because it produces half the world's olive oil, not good. And you're going to probably see, I think, EU and, and Spanish government intervention That would be my prediction here. And this is just one of the examples, but saffron, which I am a huge fan of. Saffron is so good in risotto. It's good in fish dishes. It's good in crock pots. Oh, saffron. But Spain is, again, a huge exporter of saffron. And you've also seen the same thing happening with saffron, where you have climate change and spiking prices lead to black market sellers that are selling either fake saffron doctored saffron or low-quality saffron that does not meet the denominación de origen that you need to actually sell it as what it's labeled as. So folks, support Spanish olive oil, support quality Italian olive oil. Not Not all olive oils are made or created equally. Support the good stuff. Come on. And, and by the way, you might call this controversial, but honestly, a nice shot of under uncooked, sorry, not undercooked, olive oil, good stuff, just a little, even half a shot, tastes so good. That's how you know it's good stuff. But anyways, let's move on. I want to talk again about Hamas and Israel and 10-7. So 
there's some pretty bombshell reports coming out about how basically someone was short-selling Israeli shares in the week before the 10-7 attack. And obviously, this was a surprise attack. It blindsided Israel's army and intelligence service. And even Hamas's leaders abroad in places like Qatar were surprised. I would argue the Iranians were also surprised by the precision of this. Obviously, I talked about that New York Times report, though, that said the Israeli intelligence did know about this. But either way, it did happen. It was a surprise attack. And it looks like someone was short-selling Israeli shares in the lead-up to this. Basically, short-selling a stock is in a simple way when a trader borrows shares from a broker and sells them with the expectation that the share will, that, or sorry, that the share price is going to fall shortly after. And the numbers we're looking at here are insane. Like it's not just a anomaly or just a normal market reaction. It's pretty insane. And there's a working paper by Robert Jackson Jr., former commissioner of the SEC, which is the Security and Exchange Commission. And he's co-writing this with Joshua Mitz of Columbia University. And they basically are arguing that someone had enough advanced knowledge of the plan to make a small fortune profiting from a crash in the Israeli stock market. And basically the authors look into patterns in Israeli company shares kind of in late September into early October, so a week before the attacks. And they found just some pretty strange trends that are consistent with inform trading, right? Insider trading, whatever you want to call it. And the economist notes here in quotes, perhaps the most striking example is a surge in short sales, bets that a securities price will fall, of a relatively illiquid exchange traded fund, ETF, which is what it's called, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker EIS and tracks an index of Israeli share prices. And to get into some numbers, Basically, in September, an average of 1,581 shares per day of EIS were sold short, which represents 17% of the daily trade volume in the ETF. But on October 2nd, five days before the, before the attacks, it went from 1,500 shares to a whopping 227,820. And these were shorted, which accounted for 99% of the EIS's volume according to The Economist for that day. And then if you look into what people would have thought would have been like a souring of Israeli equities in the market, basically you see a huge increase in activity. And this comes from two transactions. And this working paper talks about it. One sale is of 50,000 shares, well, 50,733 shares just before 3 p.m., and another for 174,869 shares 35 minutes later. So basically the argument is, is that right in the lead up to October 7th, someone made these trades after short selling and they made a million dollar profit within a week. And then another fur further $1 million in the following three weeks. And I mean, <laughs> it was Sagar and Jetty on Breaking Points who mentioned that this sounds a lot like the plot to Casino Royale. And I would probably have to agree because basically you have Bond trying to defeat Lashif, 
who is a private banker funding terrorists in high-stakes games of poker, obviously in Casino Royale in Montenegro. And in this case, I mean, you kind of do also have this type of scenario happening. But anyways, this working study has prompted a pretty interesting investigation into Israel's security authority, or securities authority, sorry. And a lot of people argue that due to the secrecy around the attacks, obviously no one outside of Israel and Hamas even knew anything about these. Maybe Egypt, I guess you could say, but like the United States, no one in Wall Street probably knew this. So the economists and Reuters both argue that it's unlikely that this was leaked for the short seller uh, from Wall Street, right? Some say it's probably not dumb luck either. And so it looks like it was probably someone inside of Hamas or someone close enough. So maybe you're talking about Iranian officials, Hezbollah, because basically we, are, we have seen a trend in the last year or so. And America has been trying to fight different firms that have actually been allowing trades with um, groups like Hamas. And this is a group called Tron. And basically, the thing here, though, is that most of these these trades we've seen in the past have been like $2,000 or $100,000 or whatever. And it seems like prior to October 7th, there was something much bigger. And... Basically, the economist's end point is that this working paper is concerned that maybe they've detected just the tip of a very big iceberg. And this gets me into the second part of what I want to touch on for a moment. And it's that there is a new front emerging in Hamas's fight against Israel and also Hezbollah and Iran involved in this as well. And what this is, is you have a fast-growing crypto network called Tron. Reuters notes here about Tron, it is quicker and cheaper than its rival Bitcoin. The article continues in quotes, Tron has overtaken its rival as a platform for crypto transfers associated with groups designated as terror organizations by the United States, Israel, and other countries. Basically, to put this into really simple terms, groups like Hamas and Hezbollah have basically been finding a way to get access to Iranian funds through this Tron app, which is kind of like Bitcoin. And as we know, a lot of these crypto banks or crypto providers, cryptocurrencies, all kind of intertwined, they have been proven to be a pretty effective way for the black market and terror organizations to be funded. And so basically what it seems to me like is that obviously no one saw this attack coming, but maybe if we, in hindsight, obviously being 2020, if we had looked at some of Israel's Tron seizures, we would have seen that a lot of things were happening right now between you know, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Iran, a lot of seizures happening over the last year. And so basically to simplify this, groups like Hamas and Hezbollah have used bank or crypto banks like Tron to basically get access to Iranian money while evading financial institutions and regulations and scrutiny from Israel and the United States and the World Bank, etc., but to put some more context to this, two-thirds, so, so Israel's been seizing a lot of Tron's transactions and has been really cracking down on this organization, but two-thirds of Israel's Tron seizures, which is 87, were this year, the majority. 
And this is this includes 39 wallets that Israel said in June were owned by Hezbollah out of Lebanon, and 26, it said in July, belonged to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is one of the groups in Gaza that Israel's been attacking. It is a huge Hamas ally. Reuters also notes here in quotes, the seizures have also included 56 Tron wallets, which they said were linked to Hamas, including 46 in March last year. It connected to a single Gaza-based money exchange company called Dubai Co. for exchange. God, can that be even any more just obvious, Dubai Co. for exchange? Give me a fucking break. But look, that was the first time I cussed tonight. Good for me. But anyways, this is interesting because then there's this guy, Hayward Wong, who is a spokesperson for Tron. And by the way, Tron is a British Virgin Islands registered organization. And Reuters contacted him to basically be, like go, is this possible? What is this organization up to? And Mr. Wong said in quotes, all technologies could in theory be used for questionable activities. And of course, he used an example of U.S. dollars being used for money laundering. <sighs> I... I don't think that is a really apt comparison, to be completely honest. To me, that is apples to oranges, for sure, because in the case of Tron, they are just looking at who is getting the money and where it's coming from and where it's ending up. And a lot of it is going to, for example, 46 of the seizures that Israel has done went to a company in Gaza that has been known as a pretty shady money laundering organization, which is that Dubai Co. for exchange. Also, you're seeing a lot, like 39 of its seizures going to you know Hezbollah, 26 to Islamic Jihad. I guess when you have a specific app or I guess a specific cryptocurrency bank that has this connection with anti-Israeli groups and money going to them, it's a little more questionable than just the United States dollar, which is the global currency being used for money laundering. It's completely different. And at the same time, Tron has worked with Iran. Iran, from my understanding, has used Tron to avoid U.S. sanctions. Big surprise. Reuters reported last year that, in quotes, Iranian firms used it for $8 billion in transactions between 2018 and 2022. See, that's the difference here is the U.S. dollar has just become the global currency. Tron seems to have become the sanctions evading terror funding currency because it's hard to track. And so to me, when you pile up this huge insider trading, potentially short selling chaos right before October 7th, mixed with what we're seeing Iran and Hezbollah getting money through these crypto apps, I think we're starting to get a bigger picture of maybe how Hamas carried out at least the financial logistics of major parts of this operation. And to me, that is more concerning because as I've talked about with Russia being able to avoid U.S. sanctions and create its own kind of parallel economy and parallel global order since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, it seems like we're also seeing Iran and terror networks do the same thing. And I don't know if that is good. Well, I know it's not good, but I don't know if that's good for the U.S. economy, for the dollar, for global transparency. And of course, I understand money laundering happens. The dollar is linked with a lot of corruption itself. But to me, this just stinks of corruption and sanctions evasion that is helping fund what Hamas did. 
And so, of course, I think we need to crack down on this. But again, I am also curious about this short-selling chaos as well. So stuff we're going to have to keep following. And look, I, I can understand why blockchain is a fascinating technology. I have a decent understanding of it. Of course, no expert by any means. But at the same time, this is why I've always been hesitant of crypto itself is because it does just seem like a good way to invade the financial regulations and financial institutions that kind of govern our society. And a lot of terrorists use it. Look, a lot of terrorists use it. So anyways, I'm curious to see how this unfolds, but it looks like either someone in Hamas or someone with previous knowledge that was an insider had enough information to be able to basically make a lot of money off of October 7th. And that leaves a poor, poor, bad taste in my mouth. So anyways, that'll do it for today. You guys can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. There's a lot of other ones. I just name the ones that I can remember. So anyways, have a great night and we'll be back.